0: If you will, uh, keep your Bible open to Daniel 5, because we'll be coming back to it tonight. Tonight we've read, in total, the probably one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. Because it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, you know what the word, you know what that phrase, handwriting on the wall, means, don't you? Hello? Yeah. And yet, at the same time, while we know what it means, I don't want this is a rhetorical question. Is Alan here? Rhetorical means you don't answer, Okay. How many of us would have been able to turn chapter and verse to the story to this story if I'd asked you to? And you know one of the reasons that is? There are so many wonderful stories in the book of Daniel. You have uh, Daniel doing the dream thing at the first. You have Daniel in the lion's den right after this. And at the end of Daniel, you have some great prophetic verses that help us understand the revelation and the end times. So Daniel is a wealth of, of uh, wonderful things, but... Tonight, I'm just going to walk through this, and I, with the outline, it, helped, it had helped me to get some issues about life and living and choices and perspective. And since I'm speaking tonight largely to believers, we're just going to walk down. Go ahead, if you will, Alicia. We're going to just walk down this handwriting on the wall. I'm going to offer you four thoughts, but I'm going to just tell you right now. We're going to go all through this to be true to God's Word, but what I really want you to hear is the last point. The very reason God led me to this text was for the last point. Now, you say, why don't you just preach the last point? Let's go home. It's kind of like a, I've been reminded who's on TV, who's playing ball. I can assure you I know all those things. I am both a Saints fan from the 60s. I've been, I was in Tulane Stadium when they played there. I've watched them all through the years. I've commiserated, never put a bag on my head. But let me tell you, I've also been a Brett Favre fan as far as football goes. Uh, Brett and uh, his wife are from down in our um, part of the woods, and to meet Brett Favre, you just got—he just—he's just a grown kid, is what he is. I've had the opportunity to meet him three or four times. We'll pray for those guys, but this this business is more important than that business, so we're going to give our attention to the Lord, and I'm not going to take us into extra innings or overtime. Okay, all right. I want you to see this tonight because it's important. We begin in this chapter with King Belshazzar. Now, King Belshazzar, did you notice that it said, a couple of times it says, I'll make you the third in the kingdom? Did you notice that? You come to find out very quickly as you read about Belshazzar that he was, he was wicked. He, was not, he didn't have all his acts together. Like we talked about this morning about Ahaz and Ahab and, and all those other guys... So I want to offer to you four thoughts as we peer through his life. You can write them down if you'd like or just remember them because I know you remember every word I say. The first thing that i begin with is with the depravity of the leader. We find the depravity of the leader. Now, it is true that everybody is depraved because everybody sinful. It is augmented when it's a leader, when it's a king because, as James says, the teacher has more responsibility. Hear this, teachers. If you... It, as a teacher, you are under a stricter judgment for what you say in those classrooms. And when you say something that is of your own opinion and not a scripture, you will be held accountable because James tells us that there is a higher level of accountability for a teacher to whom much is given, much is required. That's why it's important. And when I look at this and read this, let me just break this leader, Belshazzar, down in three ways. I begin with his arrogance. His arrogance his arrogance. If you read the scripture there, those first six verses, you find he gave a party for a thousand people. Now, we don't know a lot about it, but we know this. We know wine, women, and song was flowing. That was the order of the day. Quite likely, he got those thousand people together to impress them. To impress them who's running this side of the kingdom. Remember I said that uh, that he mentioned a couple of times making whoever interpreted the screen number three of the country. Many people don't know that. Do you know why that is? Because he was only number two. History reveals that his dad was set up in a neighboring town, neighboring area, and he had given, he had given a... a Of Belshazzar, this area to rule, but he was only number two. So the most that he could give anybody was number three. And now he had these thousand people there that he was trying to show how wealthy he was. Perhaps he was trying to impress his parents. We don't know who all he was trying to impress, but we know that he came in and he had a thousand people, and the alcohol and the women and everything were flowing freely. It is interesting. Now listen to this. Under the influence of the wine. May I just say this to you? When someone is controlled by alcohol, they are out of control. And for Belshazzar, this is what happened. His inebriation led to gratification, which led to desecration. His arrogance reaches an apex as he's there trying to figure out another way to impress all these people. So this is what he tells his servants. I want you to go over to the stash that grandpa put over there. That would be Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to bring back all those, quote, sacred um, vessels that granddad got from Jerusalem from the house of that god over there. And let's have ourselves a real party. And they came in and they began to drink drink wine from those sacred vessels vessels, and it's almost as if God said, that's enough. Did you know God will get to that point? Did you know that God will get to that point with you and me, just like he did with the king, where he says, that is enough. And so we see his arrogance to a, raised to a whole new level because of his depravity. And then the hand. And I looked at this, and I thought they were astonished. He was absolutely astonished. Can you imagine the picture? You're in a party. Everybody's about three-quarters drunk. Things are really beginning to roll and pop and hop. The wine was flowing, the party was going, and the, and the wickedness was growing. And all of a sudden, over by a lampstand. I think God did that on purpose so they could be sure and see it. Nothing but a hand started writing on the wall. In my my stupid mind, here's what I think. I think the party was rolling. And it had gotten rolling and got to a fever pitch. It had taken it a while to get there, and that hand popped out and started writing. And I can see and I can hear that party, all of a sudden, the noise dying down. It didn't stop near as as fast as it started, but pretty soon it was down. And everybody stood there astonished. What could this be? And so watch. You see this leader? His arrogance with the party, his astonishment with the hand with the hand on the wall, and he saw it too. And it led to his anxiety. How do I know he was anxious? Well, sure you know how I know because it says his face turned pale, his hip joint shook. This is where you get the knees knocking together when you get when you get afraid. Isn't it interesting when you read the Word of God in total, how many things you find came out of the Word of God that we use as normal? His knees knocked together. That's how afraid he was. It says says his face turned pale. Now, the King James says his character, his countenance changed, if I remember correctly. And I'm not sure all that means, but I like the New English version. It says, the color drained from his face. Because you see, this depraved leader was finally face-to-face with something he could not handle. He finally was face-to-face with God, and being face-to-face with God, he knew that he had met his match. So you know what? His depravity moved to desperation. The second thing I want you to see is the desperation of a loser. I say a loser because I think he was trying to impress people. I think I don't think that he history tells us that he was something like a spoiled brat when he came to the throne and all he did was throw his money around, try to throw parties. He was more of a party animal than he was a king. And it turned out that he was a loser. Because he saw this hand and so and so he needed some help. Hello? So you know what rich people do when they need help? They throw money at it I just I want you to see I want you to see how he threw money at it. first of all, let me show you his um, his attractive his attractive request here's what he said verse seven he says king called out to the medians Chaldeans astrologers, and says whoever Whoever reads this inscription gives me interpretation. I'm going to give them the keys to the kingdom, basically. He says, I can throw some money at it. Now, I can pause here, but for the sake of time, I will not. And I want you to think about how we're running our country today. If there's a problem, we throw money at it. I kind of like President Obama's um, answer. I do. Because if it is true you can spend your way out of debt, I can turn my wife, loot and say, we'll be out of debt in no time. Now, she's not here to, she is not here to defend herself because if she got up here, I'll tell you exactly what she said. Be quiet, Jerry. If I were to turn you loose, we'd be debt-free in no time, okay? But, you know, that's how rich people do. If you got a problem, throw money at it. I suggest this to you in our church today. When we have a ministry need, what we want to do? Throw money at it. Hello? Hello? Let's get a new staff person. Get somebody who's got time, because I ain't got I don't have time. And yet the Lord's called us to do the ministry. But I'll tell you, oh, this desperate king, he made his request. He said, I'm gonna dress you in purple, I'm gonna put a gold chain around your neck, and I'm gonna make you number three right below me in the kingdom. You know what he discovered? He discovered that he was in trouble. I want you to see number two, his anguish and his agonizing because the people that he had surrounded himself with could not read the handwriting. Now, we need to stop here and think about this. Belshazzar was the leader, and he was leading these people And wherever they were were going, he was the leader. So since he didn't have a spiritual connection to do battle, they didn't have a spiritual connection to understand, and he was out there all by himself. He looked around and he said, You know what the truth is? The truth is I need somebody beyond who I normally go to, beyond my regular advisors. And I will pay generously for it. Along comes the queen. I, you see his attractive, his available resources. You know who his resource turned out to be? His available resource. You know who it turned out to be? It turned out to be the queen to start with. Now, just so you're not confused, this isn't his wife. Scholars, scholars don't think this is his wife. They really think that it's the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. And she heard the ruckus. She heard the hollering, the screaming. She heard, and I would think that she may even have heard the quiet. Maybe the party got loud and woke her up. And then when everything got really quiet, she came down to see what was going on. You know about that, don't you, moms? You're laying in bed. You go to sleep. The kids are in the living room. And everything's good as long as you can hear them. And all of a sudden, they're quiet. What do you do? You get up and go see what's going on. Because you know they're up to no good. She came down and she said, look, here's the truth. If you're really desperate enough, there is somebody in your kingdom who can help you. She said he helped your predecessor, your granddad, and he'll help you. So Daniel was sent for when he got there, the third thing that I want you to see is the disclosure about the lost. Obviously, Belshazzar was a lost person. Obviously, he had no, no help in his regular contingent. He needed to step outside. And so Daniel came in. This is all too familiar for Daniel. Hello? You know what I think it was? I think when Daniel came before the king for the second time in his life, the different king now, it was deja vu all over again. He remembers being brought before the king in, in days past when it was Nebuchadnezzar, that man who held life and death in his hands. And he said, King, just give me a couple of days. And he and those three that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went to the Lord and prayed, and the Lord revealed it, and he came back. Before the king. And so now he is here again, and the king says, The king says, You know, if you'll do this for me, I'll take care of you. And so I just want to say this to you Daniel did not receive the button for being politically correct because he pulled no punches and he meant no words. And so this is what he did. He began in the past. He began in the past. If you look down at verse 17, he said you can keep your gifts. I already had some. You can give them somebody else if you want to or do whatever you want to. But I'll read this for you. And then he reminded him of his past. And he said, look, you, do you remember your, your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19? Because of the greatness God gave him. Because of the greatness God gave to Nebuchadnezzar, all peoples, nations, languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed and kept alive anybody he wanted. He exalted and humbled anybody he wanted. But you know what the truth is? His heart was arrogant. And because he would refuse to kneel before the Lord, he lost his kingdom. You need to remember that, Belshazzar. Please listen. You know what that message is for us? We need to learn from our past. People who have had it better than us have lost it all because they refuse to kneel before the Father. We're called even today to humble ourselves before God the Father. And just when you think Daniel is going to let up a little bit, he's already started punching Nebuchadnezzar, granddaddy, in the face about his loss, If you look down here, he brings it into the present. And down at verse 22, he says, But you, his successor, have not humbled yourself, your heart. And you knew how to do this. You have known how to do this, and yet you still led your thousand people and your concubines and all your wives, you led them to desecrate Jehovah God's. possessions and he said you know the truth is you worship gods that you can't that can't see can't hear can't understand and the implication is they can't respond may i just pause and ask us a question would you let it kind of dig down in your heart is there any part of you that serves a God that cannot hear, respond, understand, or see? Is there something that you're hanging on to that you hold quiet just above God that you can't, that, that's above Him and that you've never really thought before, but you know now that that's become a God for you? You know better. Scriptures teach us better. But then when you think Daniel is going to stop, surely he's going to stop now. He's talking to the to number two in the kingdom, the one that holds life and death in his hands. Then as you look, he brings it to the problem. And he says this. He said, here's your problem. You have not glorified the God who holds your life breath. Now, did you get that? Did, that? did that burn? I read that, and I probably read it a hundred times, but you know, when I read it, it really strikes a chord in me that the God who holds your life breath. If you're going to take another breath, it's his choice. If you're going to wake up in the morning, it's his choice. If you're going to live to be a ripe old age, it's his choice. And by the same design, if you're going to pass from this life into eternity, it is his choice because he is the one who controls the whole course of your life. So now we're to the message. Another hour and a half, we'll be home. But I want you to see quickly... But pointedly, the fourth thought that, that, that I feel like God's put in my life, which is the reason that we're here, which is the reason that I chose this text. I felt led to this text. As you see on the screen, it is the details for a life. It is my belief that in the actual message that was written on the wall is the message we need to get. The men, the wise men, in Belshazzar's kingdom could read Aramaic. The suggestion is, excuse me, could read Chaldean. The suggestion is, this was written in Aramaic. And even if they could read it, they wouldn't understand it. Mani, to Cal prez. May I just suggest that there are three life lessons that we can that we can get from here. Now, I'm going to shorten them for you. The first one is the appointment, the appointment of your life. Mining means that God has numbered your days, numbered the days of your life and brought it to a kingdom. Here's what I'm going to tell you. God has appointed your life. If you've not listened before now, listen now. He gave you your starting point and he knows where your end point will be. And he knows everything in between. God has given you He is your benefactor. He is the one that has given you and me everything that we are. He has appointed us to do His business in this world. He has appointed us to build His kingdom in this world, not our kingdom. He has appointed us. It's an appointment that's divine. It's like... When the president of the United States appoints an emissary, an ambassador to another country, that's why that old song, I'm a stranger here in a wayfaring land, wayfaring stranger, you remember that song? Is it because we are not citizens? We are just passing through. We're pilgrims. And we've been appointed to be here. For a specific amount of time. And just like an ambassador, our Lord expects us to do the best with what we have. Second word is to kill, means that you have been weighed in the balance and found efficient. I call that the accounting. The accounting. The Bible tells us in a couple of couple of places that we'll have to give an account for every word and deed. The Bible tells us that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When you read that and it says you've been, you've been weighed in the balance of found, let me give you, was, during those days there was a, a pagan belief that when a person died that their heart was taken out. And in the eternity there, was, there were of these old balance scales. Do you all remember those? like the legal system. And on one side, a feather was laid. And on the other side, your heart was laid. And if your heart had no sin in it, it would balance. And if your heart was weighed down with sin, you would be condemned. When I read that, I thought, how close did they get To the real thing. Because our hearts. That's what God is all about. Man looks on the outside. But God. He looks on the heart. He is the one that can clean a heart. He is the one that can make the heart. Not be found deficit. But the heart that can be found pure. And holy. How's your heart? Can you imagine sitting there and seeing that handwriting? He writes, My life is going to be cut short. Tickle. Tickle. Because my heart, because I've been found wanting, because my heart's full of sin. And then Perez, now I know it's Parson up there, Perez down. Don't get confused over that two words. It's the same word. It's a translation issue. This speaks about Your aftermath, the afterlife. It speaks out what after comes next. Belshazzar had been such a wicked person. His kingdom was going to be divided, it would never be the same. He was head of the Neo Babylonian Empire, be the last king. And here's what I will ask you this speaks of your legacy, my legacy. What are we leaving? How do people remember us? Do they remember somebody that's got the joy of the Lord that can make it through any difficult time with their chin held high because they know that they're not home yet? That they know that this world doesn't dictate to them their happiness and joy? That this world didn't give them the smile on their face and this world can't take it away? Do they, people remember you like that? Or do they remember you as someone that's always got something mean-spirited to say, something ugly to say? You're always trying to get away with something. You're always trying to walk just on the line. Handwriting on the wall. Does God have a reason to send His hand right on your wall tonight? If He did... And your heart was weighed. Would it be found deficit? Or would it be found pure? Let's pray together.